man. Well, good morning, everybody. I, well, that was, you guys weren't ready for that, were you? Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Living Hope. Those of you here in the room, those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're here. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord is with us, that uh, whether we're gathered together in the room or whether we're connected online, that God meets us right where we are. Uh, So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God, uh, that we don't have to go looking for you. Uh, You have come looking for us. You meet us right where we live, right in the midst of our mess, right in the midst of our joy, right in the midst of our struggle, whatever our situation today, God, you are here with us. And so I pray that you would just help us to be, I don't know, open, uh, that we would be perceptive, that we would see the ways that you are at work in our hearts, in our lives, in the people around us, in our circumstances. Uh, please, God, today would you help us to be open to hearing from you and, and encountering you whether it's through a song that we sing or a prayer that we pray or scriptures we read or maybe at the table of our Lord Jesus, uh, God, would you help us to be open to meeting you, the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who never gives up on us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We are thankful to have uh, the, the high saws and Dave this morning leading us musically. So if you're interested and able, let's stand and let's sing. Good morning, guys. I'm glad you could join us this morning. Worship the King of glorious above and gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, pavilioned in splendor and girded His might, oh, sing of His grace, whose robe is the light and canopy space. His chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is His path on the wings of a storm. You alone are the matchless King, to you alone be all majesty, your glories and wonders.
7 says, and now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Where your love poured out and 
you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Thank you, God. Uh, thank you for these songs that put our prayers to music, uh, asking you to lead us closer to you, uh, to help us to see clearly the love that you have displayed for us in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's amazing to us, God, that you would love us that much. Jesus, it is, it's crazy for us to think that you would bear our sin, that you would take the, the worst that we could throw at you as we nailed you to a, a Roman cross. And yet as we're nailing you there, you are speaking words of forgiveness. Thank you for loving us so deeply that you would take our sin on yourself, that you would take our death so that by your death and by your resurrection, you could defeat the powers of sin and death and set us free. So that when we find ourselves in that lowest of places, we can know that we are not alone and that evil, sin, death, the devil, those, they don't have the final say in our lives. You do. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love that we see so clearly displayed in Jesus. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, about how nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus. No difficulty we might face, no struggle, nothing we might see on the news that's going on around the world, nothing that, we have, that we're experiencing in our, in our own lives, up close and personal. God, none of it can separate us from your love. So thank you, God, for loving us today. Thank you for being with us right here, right now. God, you know what each of us are going through. You know what each of us bring to this uh, time of worship today. You know that some of us are, uh, are on top of the world. We're just we're loving life. Things are good, and we're just filled with thanks and praise for you. <clears throat> you know that some of us are the furthest thing from that. We're struggling, God. We're barely holding on. And maybe it's things that have been done to us. Maybe it's things that we ourselves have done, but we find ourselves in a place of great need today. And we are so grateful that when we reach out to you, we, we don't find our hands slapped away. We don't find you looking at us with judgment or condemnation, but instead we see you looking at us with love, happy to embrace us, happy to forgive us, happy to give us your grace, your strength, your wisdom, your power, your peace. Thank you, God. Again, I pray that you would help us to, to be open to receiving all that you want to give us today that we would be open to receiving your grace, that we would be open to hearing your voice, that we would be open to trusting and following you. Thank you, God. We pray all this confident in your love because you've shown it to us in Jesus. It's in his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thanks. Uh, we're going to take a couple minutes to extend that peace to each other. Shake somebody's hand. Wish them a happy Sunday. Uh, introduce yourself to somebody. All right. <laughs> Glad to have you guys here today. Hopefully, hopefully all of you, as you came in, grabbed one of these little... Uh, one of these little handouts. If not, uh, I think there's some more in the back perhaps or out in the lobby because you'll want one of those because there's some announcements, things coming up this week and there's some uh, scriptures that we're going to look at today. Uh, right up at the top, you can see that we would love to connect with you. Um, if you're here in the room, you can just grab one of those little green cards back there, drop it in the box. But if you're watching online or if you just prefer using your smartphone, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect and you can let us know you're with us, how we can pray for you, how we can thank God with you or a question you might have that we can answer for you. And um, if you fill it out online, you got to give me contact information. It, won't, it makes you give me an email address so I can follow up with you. If you're writing it on a card, please make sure you give me a way to follow up so I can answer your question or address your concern or whatever that might be. And uh, if you're giving today, you can give online. You can give back there and just drop it in the box. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. Thank you again to all of you who are giving faithfully uh, week in and week out, month in, month out, however it is that you do it, because you're, you're enabling us to do things like offer this overnight warming center that we've been doing uh, for the last almost a month now and uh, plan to continue until the overnight temperatures quit trending below freezing. So um, <clears throat> if you would like to help, we could still use your help. Uh, we've got to the place where we've got all the shifts covered now. We'd love to have two people on each shift so that nobody's having to sit here staying awake by themselves. Uh, so if you would like to come and help uh, 
serve one night. You can do the first half of the night, the second half, the whole thing. It's your call. Uh, so if you would like to volunteer, we would love to have your help. And then also, um, uh, just a couple things coming up in February, which is starts Wednesday. Uh, this Wednesday, we're doing a Living Hope 101 class during the day from 11 to, uh, to 12.30 or so. And uh, if you would like to participate in that, we would love to know ahead of time so we can make sure we've got enough food and handouts and all that kind of stuff. It's an introduction to who we are as a church, what we believe, what we're about, where you might fit. It's basically a membership class. So if you've been coming for a while and you thought, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what kind of church this is. You know, I don't know what they believe about this or that. It's a chance to ask those questions, uh, to, get your, um, <clears throat> to get those questions answered, and that'd be a good thing. We'll, we'll offer some others that aren't during the day, because I know m- many of us aren't available during the day, but uh, some of the first people that were interested, that was a, a time that worked best. So if you'd like to participate, we'd love to have you this Wednesday at 11 o'clock. And then also with the month of February, we do something here uh, every month of February that is a little unusual, I suppose. We ask for your bras. Your used bras, lightly used, all right? Not roughly used, I guess, but <clears throat> I don't know. Anyway, there's a, there's a nonprofit called Free the Girls that sends these bras overseas to women who have uh, been, who've come out of sex slavery, who've come out of, some of them have been trafficked, some of them are just wrapped up in it. And um, the organizations that receive these bras, the women that receive these bras, then are able to turn around and sell those in the used clothing market to provide uh, income for themselves, for their families. And it's a beautiful thing. If you go to freethegirls.org, you'll learn more about the amazing work that they're doing. Uh, uh, pastor, colleague, friend in Chesterton is uh, on their staff, has served on their board, and uh, has been involved with this for, for years. In fact, that's where all the bras go. All the bras from around the country get shipped to Chesterton, Indiana, where they get uh, boxed up and loaded up on pallets and shipped around the world from right here. So if you would like to help, uh, then in the month of February, just start asking all your friends for their bras, all right? Say, my pastor needs your bras, or something like that, all right? However you want to ask it, uh, our church wants your bra, and uh, we'd, we'd, love to, we'd love to pass those on to, to women who can use them. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so I think that's it for announcements, unless there's something I forgot. But uh, we are wrapping up the, the book of Genesis today. We've been, all, all month we've been in the book of Genesis. Next month we start the book of Exodus. And we're not going to hit every book of the Bible. There's 66 of them. But we are going to hit a dozen of them this year. Each month giving you a book of the Bible that you can dig into, read. Read it several times if you want throughout the month. Because most of these, it would be pretty easy to make that happen. Uh, all that time you've been giving to the NFL and now you're not watching anymore because your team's not in it. Uh, you can spend that time, you know, reading Exodus this week if you'd like. Um, but uh, today we're wrapping up the book of Genesis. Which, first book in the Bible, it's pretty important, I'd say. Right? Uh, starts off by reminding us that God makes everything and that God isn't just a distant God, but he's a a God who gets his hands dirty creating human beings and uh, walking in the garden, calling out to us, inviting us into relationship. We talked last week about how the God described in Genesis is an interactive God who really does have a relationship with us like in meaningful ways. Uh, And we've seen how as humanity took this whole creation off course that God has been at work, God has not given up on us, but he's been at work to to redeem, to move us back toward being who he created us to be. And, And in the book of Genesis we see that God decides to focus his energies in on one particular person, one particular family, a guy named Abraham, calls him to trust and follow him. And Abraham believes God, trusts God, goes where God calls him to go, does what God calls him to do. Not perfectly, we've looked at that too. He doesn't do it perfectly, but he does trust God. Just like none of us trust him perfectly. None of us follow him perfectly. But uh, our New Testament tells us that, you know, if we trust God, then we're children of of Abraham. Uh, We're following God just like Abraham did. Abraham, God promises to give Abraham descendants as numerous as the sand of the seashore, the skies, the stars in the sky. and, uh, And tells him that through Abraham and his family, all the world will be blessed which we as you know, people living a few thousand years later uh, see that as having come true in Jesus. That through the family of Abraham, the people of Israel, that God brings to us Jesus who then busts this thing wide open and, uh, and all the world has been blessed through him. But we are blessed to be a blessing. We saw that in Abraham's life. We saw it in his, in his son Isaac's life, Jacob, on down the line. Today we're looking at Joseph. Uh, the last part of the book of Genesis is given to the story of Joseph, who you may remember you know, from the Technicolor Dreamcoat or uh, Donny Osmond or whoever you've seen that, uh, that portrays Joseph at some point uh, in your life. Um, Joseph, in some ways, this story really wraps up Genesis well. Uh, it, it starts to repeat some of the themes from early in the book, and you can see, like, oh, they're kind of bringing this to a conclusion. It's, it's kind of, in some ways, kind of satisfying, a satisfying conclusion to it, 
But just like any great TV show anymore, right, when the season is ending and you're hoping for like a satisfying conclusion to the, 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 the problems and the drama that's been going on all season long, you know how they almost always leave it open for like, you know, a new season, perhaps, if it gets renewed, you know? And, um, <clears throat> and you, just, you hope they don't leave it such a cliffhanger that like if it doesn't get renewed that it's just ruined. You're like, ah, oh, why did I spend all this time watching the show? Uh, Genesis ends the same way. It, it opens the door for the book of Exodus and for the story that, that continues. Uh, but Joseph, um, he repeats a pattern that if you've been reading Genesis, we, you know, we couldn't cover all 50 chapters of Genesis in five Sundays. Uh, so if you've read the book uh, or if you've paid attention, I've touched on some of these uh, these past few weeks. Uh, Joseph's story repeats some of the patterns we've seen earlier. Um, for example, uh, some of the sibling rivalry that is throughout the book of Genesis um, and some of that sibling rivalry is just because, you know, we're human and we're messed up. Uh, some of it is because God keeps kind of subverting the cultural expectation that the firstborn child is the one who's going to be blessed, who's going to receive the inheritance, who's going to carry on the family business or tradition or name. And God keeps over and over again choosing the younger child or one of the younger children to work through. Um, we see it right from the very first set of brothers of Cain and Abel that God favors Abel's offering for some unknown reason that it doesn't tell us about. Uh, once we get to Abraham, Abraham, you might remember, uh, got a promised descendants. They were old, didn't have any kids. And at some point they think, well, we can handle this ourselves. Sarah's got this Egyptian uh, servant, Hagar, and she suggests, well, let's have kids through her. And, and so uh, they have Ishmael. And God says, no, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. I'm, it's going to be you and Sarah that have a child. And that's the pro- my promise is, is for, for this. And, and so Isaac is born. Well, Isaac's not Abraham's first child. He's a second but Isaac's the one that God works through. And it gets real clear with Isaac and his two kids, with Jacob and Esau, twin boys. Esau barely born first. And we talked about you know, Jacob being the, the heel grabber that was trying to get out first and couldn't. And, uh, and God ends up working through Jacob. It's through Jacob that the blessings come, even though he is a heel, even though he tricks his brother and his blind old dad out of uh, blessing and birthright. And the similar thing happens with Joseph. Uh, let's just read from Genesis chapter 37. When Joseph was 17 years old, so he's 17, right? You remember when you were 17? 17 and thought you knew everything and all of that, right? Uh, When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing, like any dumb 17-year-old might. Uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. If you had parents who, didn't, who played favorites, who didn't exactly parent perfectly, Genesis, man, is a book for you. You're going to see over and over. There are no perfect parents in the book of Genesis. And, uh, and Jacob is one of them. <clears throat> so one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. I'm like, what do you think this means, guys? You know, like this, this innocent teenage kid or something. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. It's like, it'd be one thing if you had these dreams, Joseph. What are you going and talking about them like this to your brothers for? Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Because he has eleven brothers, and he's got, you know, what, sun and moon, I guess, mom and dad. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So uh, if I've been listening to the uh, Bible Project podcast, you know, they do these great videos and I've recommended them to you before. Search you on YouTube for Bible Project and they've got all kinds of good stuff. Um, but they also have a podcast and they were pointing out, helping me to notice some of the, some of the repeated themes and some of, the, some of the things like this is the first mention of the sun, moon, and stars since early Genesis. When God creates the sun, moon, and stars to rule the sky and to, to mark out the seasons. Now here they are appearing again in the last story of the book. So whoever, whoever composed this book, they did a really good job of kind of, it's, it's kind of, you know, we're seeing resolution happen. So Joseph, uh, he's, got, he's got dreams. His brothers don't like it. 
<clears throat> and they, uh, they, they take some action because of it. Some of you know the story, know what his brothers do. Uh, one day, we can go ahead and read this next part that I put in your notes. When Joseph, oh, sorry, I guess I had to skip too much there. So one day the, the, his brothers are out working in the field and his dad says, hey, go, uh, go check on the brothers. And he, he's on his way and says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance, probably because of the stupid robe. As he approached, <laughs> as he approached, they made plans to kill him. So they've decided we are far enough from home. We're way out here. No one's going to hear us. No one's going to see us. Uh, let's just kill him, which, again, reminds us of that story in Genesis chapter 4. Brothers out in the field, one of them killing the other. But Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. So first they throw him in a pit, and they're having, they're having lunch. And then they see these Ishmaelite traders coming by. Ishmael, huh, we've heard that name before, right? That's Abraham's other kid. Oh. So some of them are trade, tradesmen, and they're, they're headed down the road. And so they end up selling their brother to these Ishmaelite traders. And then it says the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? And sure enough, they know he'll assume, oh, he's been killed. And that's what happens. And Jacob, his father, grieves for years the loss of Joseph and assumes he is dead. But of course, these brothers know better. Um, <clears throat> Joseph is... Uh, is in some ways a character that I feel like is hard to relate to. He has these amazing dreams and, you know, all this stuff happens to him throughout his story. And, and in some ways it's like, I can't relate to this guy, you know. Um, but in other ways, Joseph is one of the most relatable characters, to me at least, in the book of Genesis because of all that he goes through. His life is not just a straight line of like, God said it, I'll do it, everything's roses. You know, Joseph's life has, is filled with ups and downs and disappointments and waiting and, and things not going right. He's got dreams of a future that he's not sure what, what it means, and those dreams seem to be dashed over and over again. But just like we've learned to expect from the rest of the book of Genesis, God doesn't give up on us, and God doesn't give up on Joseph. We read a couple chapters later, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Uh, I know, and I think we've talked about this just re real recently. I know that sometimes when life throws us a massive curveball and, and beans us right in the helmet, uh, when, when life just goes totally wrong, it's easy for us to think, where the heck are you, God? How is this happen? I, I don't think I did anything wrong. I don't think I did anything to deserve this. Where, where did this come from? Why am I going through this? It's easy to feel like God is absent from our lives. And I'm sure Joseph could have felt that way, right? I mean, he is far, at this point, far from his family, from his dad who loves him, from these brothers who couldn't stand him. I don't know if, you know, I'm sure he heard them talking about killing him, and now he's a slave down in Egypt. And I'm sure he just thinks, my life is over. But the Lord was with him. And this gets repeated throughout Joseph's story. We're reminded that the Lord is with Joseph, just like the Lord is with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't abandon us when we find ourselves at the lowest point of our lives. He is with us. Now, that doesn't mean he always stops things from happening to us, right? It'd be nice if that's what it meant. It'd be nice if, if like, God was with us and so we knew, like, eh, so nothing's going to touch me. But stuff touches us. You know, stuff hits us hard, just like it does Joseph. But God is with Joseph. And God helps him to succeed in everything he does as he serves in the home of his Egyptian master. It gets to the point that Potiphar uh, basically turns his whole household over to Joseph. He's like, man, everything you, you do things right, you do things well, and uh, <clears throat> everything you do seems to succeed. It, it says that the only thing Potiphar had to worry about was the food that went into his mouth. You know, and Joseph just took care of everything else. That's kind of living the dream, right? <laughs> you know, all you got to think about is, I wonder what I'll have for lunch. And when lunch is over, yeah, I wonder what I'll have for dinner. You know, that's all that Potiphar had to do, and Joseph took care of everything else. Well, Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. Maybe she noticed what was happening to her husband, too, as he just sat around eating. I'm not sure. But Joseph it even goes so far as to say Joseph was well-built, was, like, was an attractive man. And Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him, tries to persuade him over and over again uh, to sleep with her, and 
Joseph continues to refuse until one day Joseph walks into the house and it's quiet. Where are all the other servants? And Potiphar's wife comes out and takes a hold of him and says, now's the time, come to bed with me. Joseph continues to refuse. She won't let go, so he has to shimmy out of his, out of his uh, shirt or whatever and, uh, and take off running. Well, she's miffed enough by this that she finally is sick of it, and she takes that shirt, that robe, I can't remember now, that, uh, that he shimmied out of, and when her husband gets home, she says, look what that Hebrew, that Hebrew slave of yours tried to rape me. And look, he, he was disrobing in front of me. I've got his clothes right here. And it says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So it's not bad enough that he'd already been sent down to Egypt. He'd had dreams of like rising up to the skies and, you know, like, and the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him. He's gone, he's gone down to Egypt. He's, he's been thrown down in a pit. He's been sent down to Egypt. Now he's been thrown into a prison down in Egypt. He's like as far as he can get from being exalted. Right? He's a slave in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Yeah, I don't know about you. Uh, I can relate to Joseph. I can relate to needing to know that God is with me when times aren't right. And I'm sure you've had that same experience. And I'm sure you've sat there and wondered, is God with me? Uh, just like last week, we talked about Jacob, his dad, and how he wrestled with God and would not let go of him. And I encourage you, man, don't let go of God in those times. When you find yourself wrestling, when you find yourself wondering, don't let go of him. Hold on tight. Uh, and maybe Joseph learned that kind of tenacity from his dad. Because Joseph appears, at least, to hold on to his integrity. He appears, at least, to continue to do what's right. And the Lord continues to be with him. Well, Joseph's start, story started with these two dreams that he had, right? About the, uh, the bundles of grain and the sun, moon, stars, and everything bowing down to him. Now, at this point in the story, there are two more dreams that show up. It says that uh, after some time, we don't know how long... Uh, these two men who worked for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, got thrown into the same prison as Joseph was, and Joseph was assigned to, to care for them. Uh, oh, I, for, I almost forgot. Uh, the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph ends up like doing well there, just like he did in Potiphar's house. And so pretty, well, pretty soon he's like assistant to the warden, and he's helping out in there. And he's assigned these, these two men. Uh, one of them was Pharaoh's cupbearer, who would bring you know, Pharaoh his drink. The other was his baker, who would make his bread. And they both have dreams. And Joseph sees him one morning saying, hey, you look like you didn't sleep well. What's going on? Oh, I had this terrible dream. You did too? I, did. I had a terrible dream too. Well, you know, tell me your dreams. You know, what's going on? And the, the guy that brought him Pharaoh's wine says, I had this dream that, that had this uh, grapevine with three branches. And I made the juice from the, from the three branches and I put it in a cup and I, I placed it in Pharaoh's hand. What does that mean? And Joseph gives credit to God and says, Oh, those three branches are three days. In three days' time, you'll be restored to your place. You'll be lifted up, and you'll be offering wine to Pharaoh once again. Well, the baker says, oh, that sounds good. And, hey, my dream had three things in it, too. I had three baskets of bread on top of my head, and the birds of the air kept coming and eating the, the stuff out of that top basket. And Joseph says, oh, yeah, those three baskets are three days. And in three days, you will be lifted up and impaled on a spike. You'll be killed uh, by Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Um, three days later, I think it said it's Pharaoh's birthday, he brings them both out, and sure enough, the, the guy that brings the wine is, is uh, brought back to his position, and the baker is executed. There was one thing that Joseph asked of that uh, wine guy. He said, when you're, when you're working for Pharaoh again, would you put in a good word for me? I'm a slave. I was sold into slavery. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I shouldn't even be here. And I was falsely accused. And can you, can you put in a good word for me with Pharaoh when you're, when you're working for him again? Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. He forgets. He forgets all about Joseph. Until sometime later, two more dreams. This time Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is having dreams. And he, he has, they're so disturbing that he's, uh, he's calling all of his uh, counselors together and saying, who can explain this dream to me? And he, he tells them the dream. He said, I, I dreamed that there were these, uh, I, was, I was looking out at the Nile River and there were cattle and, and seven uh, really healthy looking cows walked up out of the Nile and were grazing there. And they were the fattest, healthiest cows I'd ever seen. And then these seven really scrawny, sickly looking cows came up and started grazing. And they ate the first cows. Uh, 
but you'd never know it. They stayed scrawny and nasty. That's not a normal thing to dream. It must have been kind of hideous. Anyway, disturbing. And, uh, and then I had this other dream. There was this stalk of grain with seven, uh, you know, I forgot what they're called. Anyway, seeds, the, the grain, the stuff on the, on the top that makes the, makes the good stuff. All right, healthy stalk of grain with seven heads on it. And, uh, and then there was this other grain with seven really sickly looking heads. And they ate the healthy heads of grain. I don't even know how that works. It must have been like some kind of weird cartoon. Anyway, disturbing dreams. What on earth does this mean? Nobody knows. And the guy bringing him his wine's like, oh, this reminds me. There's a guy uh, I was in prison with. I was supposed to tell you about him. I'm so sorry. He's good with dreams. He told me my dream, and it came true. Uh, I'm, just like he said, you should talk to this guy named Joseph. They call for Joseph. Joseph comes. They clean, they clean him up. He appears before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph says, well, I, I can't interpret the dream, but, but God can tell you. And, and once he hears the stuff, Joseph says, oh, yeah, God is trying to tell you what's coming. These seven cows and seven uh, things of grain, these represent years. You're going to have seven really great years of great harvest where bumper crops, more than you could possibly eat or, or manage, seven wonderful years. And those are going to be followed by seven years so terrible, you won't even remember the good years. The famine will be so severe. And he says, Pharaoh, if, if, if I were you, I'd find somebody, uh, somebody smart, somebody who could, who could you know, put in place a program where you, where you collect all the extra during the seven good years so that during the seven lean years, everybody's got enough food. And it says, uh, well, that's where I've got in your notes. Genesis chapter 41, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is, in, as, is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing, hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. Now, if you read uh, the next verses, it says that Joseph was 30 years old when he was put in charge of this. 17, when he was enslaved, you know, uh, left for dead, you know, um, just abused, human trafficked by his brothers, Seven, from 17 to 30. So for 13 long years, Joseph had the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. God was with him, but it wasn't quick. <laughs> I mean, for, 30, for 13 years, Joseph had to, to hang on and not let go. And I don't know if you noticed. I might not have noticed either, except for the, the Bible guys from the Bible Project pointing it out to me. That here again is that phrase uh, that he's filled with the Spirit of God. I think the only time that that phrase is used, again, since it was used back in Genesis chapter 1 about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So again, the authors are kind of, they're, they're like picking up the themes from earlier in the book. Um, I heard it described as like, um, like musical scores, you know, when you, like when you're watching Star Wars and all of a sudden you hear the Darth Vader theme, you know, coming and you're like, uh-oh, here it comes, you know, or the, Imperi you know, the Imperial March or whatever it is, you know, you, you know, it's like it's picking up themes. And they've done a good job of that with the latest Star Wars movies that they've put out. And like they just have little hints of like, oh, that's the Luke Skywalker theme or oh, that's the Darth Vader theme. You know, you can, if you know it, you can hear it. And if you know it, you can kind of pick up on these, these themes or you can have somebody hopefully point them out to you. Similar to that, that word about him being intelligent and wise. And wisdom was the thing that attracted Adam and Eve to that forbidden fruit. That it was good for receiving wisdom. So some of the words are being picked up again and used. And even this idea of him uh, being second in command and having the Pharaoh's ring put on his finger. It's like he's the image of Pharaoh. He's the representative of Pharaoh. Just like in Genesis 1, uh, we were created in the image of God to represent God to the rest of creation. They're picking up the themes and putting them to good use here as Genesis wraps up. Joseph. All kinds of ups and downs. Hung on. 
God was with him through it all. And finally, he's at this place. But, <clears throat> but still living in a foreign land, still, you know, family far away. And uh, he sees them through the seven good years. They build storehouses. They collect uh, all, the, all the excess grain from all the people all over Egypt. And sure enough, after year seven, that next year, famine. Unimaginable famine. I mean, I don't have any idea how expensive eggs were in Egypt back then. But it, things were bad, all right? Nobody could get what they needed. And uh, the people of Egypt are coming and receiving the grain. And the famine even spreads to the neighboring countries. It spreads to Canaan, where Jacob and Joseph's brothers live. And after a while, Jacob, his dad, sends his brothers down to Egypt to get grain. He's like, please, we don't want to starve here. Go down to Egypt and, and buy us some grain. So... So they go down to Egypt and they buy grain. And there's a whole fun story back and forth as Joseph puts his brothers in these impossible situations. He tests them over and over because they have to talk to Joseph. They don't know they're talking to Joseph. They're talking to this, you know, Egyptian prince guy who, uh, you know, dressed like an Egyptian, has an Egyptian name and all the rest. Uh, <clears throat> and they're bowing low before him, asking, please, would you let us, you know, have some grain? And they buy grain. And he gives them, he gives them lots of chances to be the, the rascals that they were when, when they were kids. Um, even gives them a chance to abandon one of their brothers uh, back at home or back in slavery there in the jail in Egypt while they take grain home. He gives them lots of chances to see, are they gonna, have they changed their ways or are they the same guys that I knew when we were kids? And eventually, eventually he reveals himself. Um, and I think that's what we have, yeah, there in Genesis chapter 45. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that's ravaged the land for two years will last five more. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. So at this point, what, he was 30 when he was put in charge, and there were seven good years, 37, two more, he's 39. He's almost 40 years old. Well, it's no wonder they don't recognize him in all his Egyptian stuff as a 40-year-old man compared to the 17-year-old kid. But at this point in Joseph's story, we don't know in between, all right? We don't get a lot of insight into Joseph's attitude, into Joseph's perspective. But what we do know is at the end of it all, as he is seeing those childhood dreams come true, and his brother's bowing low before him. Joseph has some perspective. And he's able to see, wow, guys, you, it was God who got me here. Now, that doesn't mean that God made them be rotten to him. That God made them be, do the sinful things that they did to him, the evil that they did to him. But it does mean that God worked through all of that to get Joseph where he needed him to be. So he would be able to do what he needed to do. Uh, eventually, um, <clears throat> Joseph persuades his brothers to bring dad down and to bring the whole family and to move to Egypt. He's like, this famine's going to keep going. You guys need to move down here so that you can, you can live. And they get the choice part of land. Pharaoh's like, they throw a big party. They send, you know, caravans to, to bring them back. And, uh, and they're given the, the choice part of the land. And so now Jacob, also known as Israel, and all the people, the tribes of Israel, live in Egypt it's setting up the stage for the book of Exodus, which starts out like skipping ahead in time to a king who doesn't remember Joseph and doesn't know why we've got all these Hebrews living here in Egypt and this is a problem and they start to enslave them. That's not yet. That's next week. He's setting, he's setting the stage for what's to come. The whole family moves down and eventually his dad dies. And after his dad dies, the brothers are like, uh-oh, now it's coming. Joseph was being kind to us for dad's sake, but now that dad's gone, now we're going to get it. And he says to him, he tries to reassure him, he says, you planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many people just as he's doing today. This is a God that we see in the Bible who is always working for our good. Uh, not just our good, but for the good of the world. And we get to be a part of God's massive plan of, of blessing the world. Sometimes he does that by blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. Sometimes it means we go through some really dark times. And, and again, while I won't say God caused any of that, I'll say that God can work through all kinds of circumstances to bring about his good ends. 
to bring about the, the good that he intends, right? If you've gone through some, I, I know some of you have gone through some tu- truly heinous experiences because we've talked about them, some abuses, some, some horrors that some of you have been through. And I would not even begin to say, oh yeah, God wanted you to go through that or that God made that happen to you because I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, all right? But what the Bible very clearly teaches is that the very worst things that happen to us, God can use them for good. That God can bring good even out of the worst kinds of evil. Right? I mean, human trafficking is something that still goes on today. It's one of those things that gets attention, right? That we hear talked about and that, that many people are working to try to end. I mean, Free the Girls in some ways is, is kind of helping people who've escaped from that. Uh, and we look at that and we think, well, that's one of those especially heinous things that you could do to someone. That happens to Joseph, and God brings good out of it. I mean, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we, we believe that God brought good, unbelievable good, out of the most unbelievable evil. You know, that we would take the Son of God and, and nail him to a cross and kill him. It's got to be the worst thing that, that human beings can do, Right? But God takes our worst sin and, and uses it for the redemption of all mankind, of, of all of us, to set us all free from slavery to sin and death. Whatever happens to us, God can, is always working for good. God can bring good even out of the worst kinds of evil. And that's why I went ahead and, and included this, these verses from Romans chapter 8. Uh, to skip ahead to the New Testament as the Apostle Paul uh, is drawing from Scripture and from experience and saying, look, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, sometimes his purpose includes lots of ups and downs, but God is with us and God is at work. And then he goes on to talk about all the different things that come our way. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have difficulties or if we go hungry or if we are persecuted and he he says no 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 none of these things we're we're more than conquerors because of what God's done for us in Jesus and at the end he says indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord nothing that happens to you today nothing that happened to you years ago nothing that happens in your life could ever separate you from the love of God God will be with you God was with you. God is with you. He will be with you. It's our job to, to reach out to him, to trust him, to not let go of him. To say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to get me through this. I'm going to trust that you are able to bring good somehow even out of this horrible thing that I'm going through. Now, it might be that for a time our prayers have to be much uglier than that. And we've talked before about how the Psalms are a great example. And there are lots of ugly Psalms saying, how long, God? Why have you abandoned me? And, and what's going on here? And those are faithful prayers. If you find yourself praying those, if you find yourself wrestling with God, that's okay. That might be the, the most faithful way you can respond to your circumstances. Just don't let go of God in the midst of it. Keep directing those ugly prayers to the God who is with you, who loves you, who is going to bring good even out of your circumstances. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll talk more about that next week, about how God so often works through other people to bring that good, to bring that, that grace that we need to, to help us to experience freedom from those circumstances. But that's, that's the story of Moses. This is the story of Joseph and, and a God who is always working for our good. Oh, I hope you'll come back next week, and, and I hope you'll start reading Exodus and, uh, and prepare for us as we dig into Exodus, the first three chapters or so uh, next Sunday. But right now, uh, can we bow our heads and pray before we celebrate communion together? God, we are so grateful for your love, for your faithful love that you showed to Joseph, that you showed to each one of us. You are persistent, God. You don't give up. You don't leave us. And God, you know more than I do how hard that is to believe for some of us sitting in this room right now, for some of us watching this right now online how hard it is to believe that you are with us in the midst of what we are going through. So God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the ways that you are at work. I pray that you would help us to see the ways that you have not let go of us. 
And God, I, I pray that you will speed us toward the day where, <clears throat> where we are able to look back and to see your hand at work, to see the good that you are bringing out of the terrible circumstances that we might find ourselves in. Thank you, God. Thank you for the love that you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. I mean, in him, we see your love so clearly displayed. And we see that you are able to bring good even out of the most unimaginable evil. So if you can do that in Jesus' life, if you can do that in Joseph's life, if you can do that in the lives of people sitting around us in this room right now, God, help us to believe that you can do that in our lives too. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. Thank you, God. Thank you that we get to celebrate this sacrament of Holy Communion where we offer to you these simple little gifts of bread and juice. Uh, We pray, God, that by your Spirit's presence here that we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We remember, Lord Jesus, the, the great price that you paid to set us free. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us to see in your broken body, in your spilled blood, that you are present with us when we find ourselves broken, when we find ourselves poured out. God, we offer ourselves to you today. For some of us, this is a real stretch, God. We offer ourselves to you. We open our lives up to you. We acknowledge that we have not lived the lives you created us for. You had a dream for our life, God, and we've we've taken it in a totally different direction. We've not loved you with our heart, soul, mind, strength. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. God, today we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our need of your grace. And we are so grateful that you, God, are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. God, we thank you for the grace and the love that we see in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace that we are able to experience as we come to him and put our trust in him. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for loving us. Again, God, we pray this confident in your love because you've shown it to us in Jesus. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, The musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion today. I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it, and then return to your seats. This is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, uh, all of us who are grateful for his love and his grace. Uh, we've got the regular little pita bread and, the, and some little round gluten-free wafers. And we've got the little individual cups, too, if you'd rather take one of those. Or if you, uh, if you don't want to get so close as to uh, join the procession, I think we've got those on most of the tables as well. And as we sing, you're invited to, to peel that back and get to the bread and, and get to the juice. Uh, yeah, again, this is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. doesn't matter who, we've been, who, we, who we are, where we've been, what we've been through. Uh, God loves us, each and every one, and he has grace for us today. So let's give him thanks and let's celebrate that.
feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore at his table. I will feast at the table of the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore at his table. Come all you weary, come and find his yoke is That is how we have come today, God, just as we are, acknowledging our need and grateful for your grace that meets that need, grateful for your love that uh, goes with us as we leave this place. Please, God, would you fill us today with the Spirit of Christ so that as we go, we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, as your sons and daughters sharing with others the grace that you have so freely given to us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.